This episode is sponsored by UMSO, the website builder for startups. So I work with startups. So when I needed to build my own website, I decided to try UMSO. I needed something that was polished yet super easy because I'm not a developer and that didn't break the bank. And I've been with them ever since. Beyond my homepage, I've built out my blog, my podcast page, and my pricing page. Highly recommend UMSO to get your website off the ground. Visit umso.com slash MSM to learn more and use the code MSM20 for a 20% discount on your first three months. I talk with our CEO all the time about how to unlock more budget or try stuff I want to try. In his perspective, and I completely agree with it, is you earn the right to that, <laughs> right? Like things are going well enough or it's like, here's your budget. If you want some budget to go do something experimental, then deliver on your goals for less money. And then you have money to do it with, right? So you can earn it. And then there's always room to go back and say, I need a little more. Like we're not getting any, we are lean and mean. And like, I have a really good idea. And then you can negotiate, but you have to kind of be crushing it first. And crushing it in the very, in the 30, 60, 90 is there's some repeatable, reliable stuff that's happening. The leads are good. And now you can put some energy elsewhere. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Well, hello, hello, everybody. So happy to have you back. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. I would love to introduce you guys to Josh Aids. He is my guest today. He is the head of marketing at Dwell Well, which we'll get into. Very cool company. Prior to Dwell Well, he was a marketing director at Impulse Mobile, which is a health tech startup that has raised $42 million in funding. So Josh, I would like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Anytime I get a talk and then hear myself talk later is a perfect opportunity for me. Yeah. The listening to yourself part, I know some people don't like that, but I think over time I've learned to love it. I don't mind it at all. You know, sometimes I sound like I have a cold, sometimes I don't. <laughs> it's all good. Before we jump in and we talk more about you, Josh, and about Dwell Well and about some of the questions I have for you, I did want to mention to the listeners that I have this podcast listener survey that I would love for you guys to spend just three minutes. There are 11 questions. Some of them are optional. So you don't even, even have to fill them out if you don't want to. But please take a moment. Go into the... Um, it's in the show notes. There's a link to the survey. I would love for you to fill it out because I'm a marketer. I love insights. I want to learn about what you love about the show. What's missing? What can I do more of? What do you want to hear more about? That will be so helpful for me. So thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Okay. So let's talk about Dwell Well. Founded in 2021... Seed funding and a little bit of a description here. So, Dwell Well is an end to end platform that guides home buyers through their home buying journey. So, people might be able to connect to that. Maybe you've purchased a home already and remember the experience. Maybe you're going to purchase a home, haven't purchased yet, but are planning to. It's something that people can connect to for sure. So, Dwellwell provides education, decision-making tools, and personalized connections to vetted partners or agents 
so that instead of feeling frustrated and confused, which people do sometimes feel like that when they're buying a house, Dwellwell gives users a way better home buying experience. So super cool company, Josh, and I'm excited to dive in and ask you more about the company, what you're working on there, and let's get into it. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Very excited. Awesome. Okay, so let's start with what you're doing with your marketing plan. Where are you focusing in right now? You're seed funded. You've got this cool company. You want to tell people about it. You want users to actually go ahead and purchase, right? Where are you putting your dollars right now from a marketing perspective? Yeah. So when we first started, I've been here about 14 months or so, which is quite a long time, right? It's the majority of the life of the business. And when I was getting hired, I did a 30, 60, 90 as sort of my pitch of what we're going to be getting done. And a lot of it was building foundational digital stuff because I was like, great, we get this really simple. I mean, that stuff is very nuanced and can go on forever, but getting that off the ground uh, where we're getting some leads coming in through some stuff that's fairly automated made the most sense to me. And then let's start getting into some fun, creative, unique ideas. And that has proven to be a much bigger bear than I expected one control cost and two be successful. So we're still doing and turning a lot of different knobs and switches and whatever. When I say digital, I'm talking meta, I'm talking TikTok a bit. This is pretty basic stuff for a business that needs to speak directly to consumers with the added challenge that we're also a marketplace business. So we have to draw real estate agents onto our platform as well. And in the future, other experts. So that was our initial big focus. And it's something we keep playing with. We also realized that to get meaningful buyers that sort of meet our ICP or at least close to our ICP at any sort of scale, we need to really get where they are in person. We can't just sort of be floating around ads like a guided home buying experience or kind of learn what you don't know or meet three agents and just hope that everyone's going to come to us. Uh, And so we scoped out five sort of silos that I was going to try to attack. And the one that's worked the best so far and where we're spending more time and energy are larger company presentations. I did one that was a blast at my old company, Impulse Mobile, which was like the perfect business because there was a big liquidation event with a private equity firm that came in um, about a year ago. I've spoken at smaller companies, all different sorts. And what we're finding is on one side, if I get to a company where, let's say there are a lot of tech workers, more high paid workers uh, that maybe don't know how to buy a house or, or just sort of exploring finance for the first time, that generates a lot of buyers. But then on the other side, on our platform, right? But on the other side, I may be speaking at a smaller company and I'm just answering a lot of questions about housing and the housing market. And it's very educational, uh, very informational. And those buyers may or may not use well well. And they may, if they do, it may be years down the line. But we're getting the benefit of them. Uh, we're building trust there and they're telling their friends, I believe. I'm hoping to get some network effects out of it. And so that's the, I would say, the, the primary strategy that is interesting and isn't just buying ads and throwing money at the problem, right? That's, that's, and it's, they're very fun. I love doing the, the presentation. So for me, it's nice. Cool. So you're thinking about it in a way where you're using Meta. I still say Facebook ads. Same, I know they same. changed their name. I, but it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. You're still using Meta for advertising. You're using TikTok. Are you using TikTok organic? Are you advertising on TikTok? What are you doing with TikTok? We've done both. Okay. I think the long-term opportunity for us on TikTok is organic. And the reason why is we provide so much education, right? Our actual product, our main product, this sort of guided home buying experience works kind of like TurboTax, where we're leading you through 
but we're educating you along the way about what you need to be doing, where you can find stuff like, oh, you don't have your W-2s, look in your email or reach out to your HR. So there's an element like that. And so education is huge, 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 right? It's, it's our main value. We're not going to get you a better deal on a house or something like that. We're going to empower you, make sure that you're not missing steps, make sure you're able to make good decisions. And so along those lines, TikTok organic for us is a perfect place to be. I think TikTok is a really fascinating thought leadership platform. People are using it as a search engine for things like house buying tips, right? So for us to bring a lot of the education out of our product and put it into TikTok makes a ton of sense. We've done some sponsored stuff on there with varying results. I've talked to a lot of marketers that are outside of like B2C selling skincare that are like, it's a waste for us. If your sales cycle is at all nuanced beyond very much a consumer is going to buy something right now, it seems to be a waste. We've had some pretty good success, but what we've done is provided some really meaningful education and kind of promised a deep dive. Like you might, right, Anna, with like, hey, go like here's a course that I can offer you now if it makes sense based on what you're learning from my podcast or from my site or whatever. Driving people to get deeper dives on our site has worked really well there, as well as in-app lead gen. So people that stay in TikTok but give us, you know, they fill out a form or it autofills. Sometimes we'll ask a few key questions so that we know who we're dealing with and, and also put a little bit of a barrier up so the leads are good. So we've had success uh, in those two ways. I think also on TikTok, what's been really smart for us is we've been using Spark ads almost exclusively, which act like a promoted post. And we've seen lift on the videos on either side of a Spark ad, organic. And so we know if we have a really good topic here and we're going to promote this one here, and then the one next, it's also valuable that we're going to get a lift from all three by promoting one of them. So those are some strategies we've been using. I think TikTok for us is huge. How do you get someone to fill out a form? They're on TikTok. They're clearly not in the mindset of like, I'm going to fill out a form and learn more. And it doesn't seem like a place where someone would be open to filling out a form. I know when I've been on TikTok, I'm not there like looking for forms to fill out. So how do you get people to do that? It's a great question. And I actually yesterday got one of these ads I see all the time and I kind of finally watched it, right? And it was a, a marketing strategy about getting in the press more. And then, so great, let's learn more. I know I'm not going to spend money on this, but maybe I can learn. And there were so many questions halfway through, I abandoned it. And I was like, I hope they have tracking data to see where I left because this is an issue. And I would, if it was just my email address and I was going to follow, they were going to follow up, it would probably have worked. So for me, I actually, I used, forms in TikTok as a bit of an intentional gate to weed people out. So I don't want a thousand form fills. I want 10. And I want those 10 to be people who are actual buyers. I guess the answer is, I don't want them to fill out the form. <laughs> I'm trying to put up a barrier. So I'm only marketing to the right people. If I have 10 people come through a TikTok ad for 500 bucks, and they're all people who say they're looking to buy a home in the next six months, they would love to use technology to support that potentially an online solution and they do not currently have a real estate agent holy cow like that's that's all i need and so i'd rather have them raise their hand and say that i think how i get them to do it one keep a form short classic marketing right and make sure it's actually valuable and relevant to them but two it's like this is core to all of my marketing is have some personality have some humor in there right it can't just be something that's so dry right it's the way you ask questions you're in tiktok these people are relaxing they're probably going from laughing to crying every 10 seconds, depending what video they're watching. So I think you have to meet buyers and consumers where they are mentally with your effort. And so I understand I'm in TikTok. I understand that's their experience. 
if things get really dry, like, are you looking to buy a house in the next six months? That's not as effective as something like, woohoo, buying a house is a huge deal. How soon are you looking to buy? Right. So it's some of that, that stuff where that same buyer, if, if I hit them on LinkedIn, which is a bad example, because I wouldn't find home buyers there, but I could be more formal because they're in a different headspace. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the same person that's on TikTok could be on LinkedIn, but it sounds like you're really going big. You're prioritizing your channels, which is exactly what you should be doing is prioritize, not be everywhere at all at once so that you can go big. Yeah. Yeah. It's communicating in that like I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on TikTok, right? I have a baby and I also like whiskey. Like depending on which activity I'm doing, I'm going to resonate with very different messaging. And so that's what it is. It's the same buyer is going to resonate with different messaging in different places. I think. Can you help me understand how you build in humor or personality into some of these ads that then go to the fill out form? Yes, definitely. So I think for us, it's good because we're a brand that faces the challenge of wanting to target primarily millennial and Gen Z homebuyers. But because of fair housing laws, almost every platform we use won't let us target people by age specific demographic, all these things, which is, by the way, phenomenal. That's how it should be, right? It, it helps cut down on a lot of prejudice and stuff that's been in housing forever. And so one benefit we have here is that our brand voice is younger and more fun. So that's one thing. When I want to think about how to add humor into, let's use a TikTok video, for example, that's going to go to a lead gen form. The first thing I do is go, what is the message we're trying to convey here, right? Like and let's go very boardroom, white collar, right? It's, oh, this is a faster and easier way to buy a home, especially if you don't know what you're doing. That's what we're going to try to convey to people. And then we go, what is a funny way, an eye-catching way of explaining that, right? And so a good example we've used, we made a bunch of like six-second YouTube pre-roll ads, right? And this is very similar to what we would do on TikTok, but even harder because it's six seconds long. Right. So my favorite one is there's a six second ad where I'm carrying a ton of lemons in my hands out of a building and I just trip right in front of the camera and it freezes with like a crazy face and lemons flying in the air. So very eye catching and kind of one of those things like a prank video or clear humor or a sketch. Like, you're like what is this? This is worth my attention a little bit. And then we have voiceover that says, don't trip, use dwell well. Right. And then starts again. I fall, lemons fall, whatever you're out. So in that case, it's only for branding, right? So it's not a form fill thing. But if we're going to apply that same logic to an Instagram ad, or I'm sorry, a, a, like a TikTok ad, let's say, I would be going, all right, we have under a minute that we want to get this done, right? And we're looking for lingo we can use, like don't trip, that applies very to a very specific demographic. We're looking for something that catches attention early, right? All of the best practices of any sort of marketing thing, just always trying to leverage, like we want to also entertain here. You know what I mean? So it's that approach. It's it's just adding that in. And you don't have to be that funny <laughs> to do it, right? It's just being funnier than like, let's say where someone is looking to buy a house and they're looking at stuff that we posted on TikTok because it's just in their feed based on the algorithm. And then they're seeing stuff from Zillow. Zillow is going to be like, use Zillow to find the perfect home. And we're like, hey, don't be an idiot and listen to your parents about how to do this thing. They don't even know anymore. We got your back, right? So it's that same tone. You're meeting them in the in the headspace where they are. I think. Yeah, it's a bit of a long winded answer. I don't know if I answered it directly. But that's sort of how I think about. You it. did, you did. You gave me this visual image of the lemons falling in the face. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So then, instantly, someone is interested. And you only have six seconds, so you have to grab right. attention very right. quickly. 
But I do like how you juxtapose that against what other players in the space are doing. Like Zillow is more your parents' tool. Don't be an idiot. Don't use that one because that's how they used to buy houses. Now, like we're in this community. We understand. We get it. We're going to use Dwell Well. And also you're connecting more to them because you're funnier and your personality might be more catchy. And they're like, yeah, you get me. You get me so well. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Okay. So we talked about Meta. Are mm-hmm. you doing both Facebook and Instagram ads or just yeah. Facebook? Okay. Yep. And and we have a bit of a, a story of how we arrived at that is interesting. To use both Facebook and yeah, sure. Yeah. I love stories. <laughs> yeah. Any good marketer should, right? So w- when I first came in the door, it was like, let's throw up some Facebook ads real quick while I just figure out what's going on. I'm talking like $800 a month. Like, let's just get something rolling. And we just got anyone that signed up from a Facebook ad was some random boomer, right? Who like probably isn't going to be comfortable sharing financial information on a product they've never heard of, right? That was not what we were looking for. Not even close to our ICP or any persona we'd ever consider. And so we tried a few different things on Facebook and everything was just boomers, 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 right? And so we were like, okay, great. We know we need to add Instagram to the blend. It's a no brainer. Like that was not a surprise to see that, right? And so we killed Facebook. We The final campaign we tried on Facebook was sort of a referral angle, which was like the creative was something like, don't let your kids waste your money. Because we were aware, especially during COVID with all these prices going nuts, all these all cash offers, so much of that was coming from retired boomers who made a bunch of money in the eighties or something, right? And just giving their kids money to buy a house or helping them get into a house all cash and then they're and then they're getting a loan or whatever. So don't let your kids waste your money. There's your call to action to boomers. It went to a landing page where they could provide the email address of the kid or younger friend or what colleague that they think should hear about us. We got zero conversions on the landing page. And it was funny and good and very well designed. And so then we were like, we're done with Facebook. It's boomers and they can't even refer us to the right audience. Let's move on. And so I stopped advertising on Facebook and went only on Instagram through the same ad builder, obviously. And we had much better success, which makes sense. That's more of where our audience is. And that was when I was building very much custom audiences, right? Doing your best guess. Like, what are their interests? They've probably been recently married. Facebook, Meta, whatever, won't let me do a life event like that because of fair housing laws, right? So you, you try to do your best to build a list of based on interests to get to the right audience. And that kind of worked. And then, and this is a little bit embarrassing because I've been in marketing for a long time. But then I was chatting with an agency that one of our investors, or, you know, we had like a free six-week kind of pilot with. And they were like, weren't conversions your goal on Meta? And I was like, because I'm you know, taking my best guess at, no, dude, like you need to be advertising with conversions as a goal because then you and the publisher, in this case, Mark Zuckerberg, are lined up with the same interest. They want to make more money from you. They're going to make more money by, drive, by driving more conversions. You know they know stuff about all their users that they can't just really share, right? There's We know that that web is way darker and deeper than being able to say like, you know, these people recently had a kid. So let them use all that. And so it changed all of our stuff to conversions. What was your goal before the conversions? We were, my internal goal was a conversion, right? It was just website visits. And then we had a form and we tried to do really well there. And I was tracking conversions that way. But I hadn't had a conversion goal where you can literally go and say, if they click, we want them to click this button. We want them to fill out this form or whatever. And so once that happened, I then reopened Facebook because I'm like, I don't care where they're coming from. If they're going to convert and then they're the right person, you can find them, Zuckerberg, and I'm just going to hang out. And that fundamentally changed our business. And so now we advertise on both uh, quite a bit. 
I love that story. See, this is all part of coming in and learning because you're experimenting, you're learning, you have these theories, you have a hypothesis, a thesis in the beginning, but it's not a tight for sure thing. And then as you unroll your thesis, you see the result and then you talk to people. It's a good thing that you talked to that agency yeah, exactly. that said like you need to opt, you need to have conversions be your goal. And then you reopened up Facebook and now you advertise on both. So fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for telling me that story. Okay. So we <laughs> yeah, talked about Facebook and Insta. We talked about TikTok and how you're doing both organic and paid and specifically the t- TikTok to lead gen form. Very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to mention related to the... Also, the in-person you had mentioned mm-hmm. too. I don't want to forget that. So you're going to these larger companies, these smaller companies. You're talking about... You're educating people, right? Mm-hmm. People that don't know how to buy a house or have questions. And you're sharing that in larger groups. Mm-hmm. Any other channels you want to mention that you're really going big on this year? <laughs> Everything else is very much everything else that we're doing. I've literally fill out a thing that's like experiment, right? And then I say how long the experiment's going to be on this on this Excel sheet and kind of what the scope is. So nothing that I would hang my hat on yet. We are trying all sorts of things on that list. Would be how can we get real estate agents who are who we? That's how we monetize our business, right? And they pay us to meet with qualified home buyers. How can we get leads from them? Right. Yeah, we're providing them. I wouldn't call it leads. We're providing them with with meetings with real opportunities that we have a bunch of data and information on. So it's better than a lead. But how can I get leads for, from them? One thing we've been talking about is the trade a hot lead for a cold lead concept. Can I go to a brokerage or a real estate agent and say, give me 10 leads you're not going to work because they're years away from buying a house? And I'll give you a lead that's planning on buying in the next six months. Right. And so then I'm building my database and I'm happy to nurture them and market to them. Uh, so that's one thing we've considered. We looked at, there are a number of loan programs where you can get like a really good deal, like maybe maybe no interest or no down payment or whatever, these different things, state by state. But in order to get those, you have to complete these educational courses, which are almost completely online now. We looked into how can we get people that graduate from those courses to seamlessly flow into our product. So they've learned a lot and now they're getting guided along the way. So that's now sitting with our product team. We just already had a product. So that's something they're looking at, right? So we're just looking for in every way we can open up bigger, bigger, bigger spigots here. Yeah. So those are the other things we considered. Love it. Okay. One TikTok thing that I wish I'd mentioned, I just want to get it in, which is we built our, our website on Squarespace initially because it's easy and we were a very small team. Squarespace on mobile is really slow. And as we started adding more tracking pixels and stuff, our mobile page was, was total trash. And TikTok has built these instant pages, which is sort of like, oh, what does Google call them? It doesn't matter. But basically, you can build a landing page in TikTok. And they can be robust. You could almost build a whole site there. And they load 11 times faster than, than a website. And so you can provide a really good initial experience, even if your site sucks or you've got other technical SEO type issues. So that was another uh, really good benefit of TikTok for us. Wow. I did not realize that you can build landing pages and even like whole websites using TikTok. What kinds of landing pages did you build using TikTok? So what's great about it, there's, it's, it's an amazing tool. I think TikTok is just in its infancy as far as some of this stuff. And I think they're really trying to like, talk about Web3 or whatever. I, I think TikTok has the potential to actually replace what a lot of people are doing on search engines. So there was the first time I found this, I was like, I'm going to have to build a landing page from scratch. And I want to match the ad like anything. You want the ad and the landing page to connect and provide a good seamless experience. And I was like, okay, this is going to take a while. I'm going to build it from scratch. And then I saw a button on top of this instant page builder. I clicked it. I typed in dwell.com 
and it took about 60 seconds and it pulled over a ton of assets from our homepage and just like automatically compiled them and whatever. And I reorganized some stuff and I removed some stuff and then I added in a form and then I put a button below the fold that wasn't there otherwise. And I took, you know, so I did some controlling of it, but I was able to edit what we already did on our homepage instead of building from scratch, took like five minutes. So that's the kind of stuff I'm doing there. We've done some stuff totally from scratch to match an ad. You know, that's very different. Maybe we're trying messaging that's not on our site or something like that, but that's how we do it. And just one page, but better than lead gen forms, right? A lead gen form on social is they click and it's like, we would love to meet with you, fill out your info. This is very much that dynamic, branded, attractive experience that you can control. Wow, I love that. It's so great, right? Because I also like TikTok for the ability to make videos so easily. I think they have that down as well. Really effective, interesting, engaging videos. But the fact that you can actually build the landing page that matches your ad seamlessly, it pulls the assets from the homepage. That's fascinating. I think that's like an interesting thing that listeners will definitely uh, like to hear. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Okay, so... I know you shared the lemons falling as like a creative ad that you've done, tripping and falling over lemons. Is there any other, maybe a creative marketing idea that you have come up with or your team has come up with and you've (laughs) been rolling with it that you want to share? I think I can share. I think that the best entry point here is for me to share two that totally failed. Oh, that failed. Yeah. And then we can get into (laughs) some stuff that works. Great. Because I do think, in my perspective is like one of my main marketing philosophies, and it's the hardest thing for my ego to accept, is that the real job of marketing is to find failure, right? <laughs> like you should be pushing into failure. You want to be trying new things, especially at a reasonable budget. You have to be smart, but you want to go like, we've explored this thing no one else has tried, right? Uh, I've heard the podcast. I can't remember her name, a, a futurist who, who's a friend of yours talking a lot about getting into the metaverse and things like Marty that. Constant. You listen yes, to her right. episode with me. Yes, yes. People need to listen to that one. She's a, a workplace futurist. And she we talked a lot about the metaverse and her experiences in there. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying to remember what I was just connecting with from that. But I guess, so. The, yeah, but so my main point is, oh, it, that, she was talking about how marketing teams are increasingly doing all the creative and all the ideation and, and all of this stuff, right? And that's I think that's really, really true. And especially in a startup environment where you do need to be more creative, right? Because you're limited by budget or you need to make a bigger impact. How do you stand out against the status quo? How do you stand out against bigger players? So part of failure is pushing creative boundaries and going like, oh, that was bad. Like that didn't work at all. But now we know not to play over there. Let's go back a little bit towards center. Yeah. But I also, let me just call one thing out. I also liked how when in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned you started 14 months ago, you had a 30, 60, 90 plan when you were hired and you knew like right out of the gate, you wanted to build the foundational digital stuff. And you, you knew that you wanted to, you know, do some ads because you wanted the quick wins. So doing the quick wins is really important, especially in the beginning when you're coming on board. But then after you set that up, that's when you have the opportunity to be creative, to fail, to test, right? That's the stuff that we live for. Exactly. Being creative. Yeah. That, that is very well put. You have to have leads coming in. They have to be decent quality before you can go try new things. And it's like I talk with our CEO all the time about how to unlock more budget or try stuff I want to try. And his perspective, and I completely agree with him, is you earn the right to that, <laughs> right? Like things are going well enough or it's like, here's your budget. 
if you want some budget to go do something experimental, then deliver on your goals for less money. And then you have money to do it with, right? So you can earn it. And then there's always room to go back and say, I need a little more. Like we're not getting any, we are lean and mean. And like, I have a really good idea. And then you can negotiate, but you have to kind of be crushing it first and crushing it in the very, in the 30, 60, 90 is there's some repeatable, reliable stuff that's happening. The leads are good. And now you can put some energy elsewhere. I love that point. It's a key one. And so what we did is that was rolling. And so now there's pressure on me. Let's get more creative. Let's push the boundaries. So one of the first ideas we had, and this came from, we had a, at the time we had a weekly marketing meeting, which was like at 5 PM and it was like drinks were encouraged and it was be super loose and people just be throwing out ideas and they would go on tangents and I would just try to find marketing in there. And so from one of those, we had this idea to print out a bunch of dog bags that just said the home buying process is shit. We're here to clean it up and brand those dog bags. And then that proved to be very cost prohibitive. We also realized that the people would give a free dog bag to, as soon as they use the dog bag, are messages on the inside <laughs> rather than the outside. So they're walking along their hike and no one's getting the brand. So we pivoted that and made a sign instead. We went to this park uh, called Runyon Canyon, uh, which in LA is a very popular place to take dogs on hikes and gave out dog bags with a big sign. We couldn't track the success of that, but that's one thing we tried. At that same time, we also hung flyers all over LA. I hired a couple task rabbits so that I could see with different QR codes. So I could see if their geographies I sent them to were working. Then everyone in the company was tasked with hanging up flyers. And it's a very intimidating thing to do because you feel so like schlocky and sneaky. You know, you almost want to do it in the middle of the night. You're papering your neighborhood. And so people weren't doing it. So we made a contest out of it. That didn't create anything meaningful, but it did a huge volume for company culture, right? Around hustle, around working together, about being scrappy. We did get leads from it, but it wasn't worth the amount of energy, but it was very inexpensive. And then the third thing we tried that was hyper-creative and was a complete bust was we built an entire social... Like we built it. We have an Instagram, a TikTok, everywhere you'd want to be around banning house porn, right? And there was that SNL skit a couple of years ago where they were making fun of like people in their 30s who are looking at Zillow as if it's porn, you know, and then all of a sudden it gets too real because they click the button that's like, I want to see this house and their phone starts blowing up from all these agents calling. And so we, our whole concept was stop looking online and start thinking about how you can do something about this, how you can start buying something. So we invented this character, which was me. I would dress all crazy. I had a huge sign that's like ban house porn. You know, I'd go on the street, get people to honk at me and stuff. We're recording this all for social content. We'd staged out how many videos we're going to do and when. And it was just like a non-starter. We couldn't get any attention. No one cared. People that saw it didn't understand it. It didn't connect with the brand. You know, the bounce rate. We had a great landing page that looked ridiculous, like it was made by a conspiracy theorist. It was overthought is what it was, even though it was very, very funny. And so none of those three things worked, but they really helped us understand who we were as a brand and what we were willing to try. And then we went back way toward the middle from there. We're doing a lot more traditional tactics now, in-person meetings or virtual meetings and, and that kind of thing. Hey, it's Anna, the host of Modern Startup Marketing, the show that you're listening to. I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. Just wanted to let you know that you can get a marketing audit and custom roadmap to help you start seeing more traction from your marketing efforts. To learn more, go to firminovmarketing.com slash pricing. And now back to this episode. 
I love this. I might actually start to ask my guests to talk about failures because I bet you there are tons more interesting stories around failures because that's really what you're trying to do. If you're pushing the envelope, pushing into failure, being more creative, you're going to have failures. So I love that you're just changing my mind on this. I'm usually like, (laughs) what are the good things that are coming out of your rolling with like creative? What marketing ideas did you have that worked really well? I might flip it and also ask like, what didn't work as well? And I bet you I'll hear more stories around that. I think you're right. And and I can answer your original question as well uh, to give <laughs> to create some grounding here because we do do some things that work well. That's right. And I think yes. <laughs> what we've seen... So when I first started, I come from a really strong content marketing background and primarily a B2B kind of content marketing background. And so and it doesn't just mean white papers. I was, I've always tried to take a more B2C approach with B2B, treat people like human That's beings. That's why I like you, Josh. That's <laughs> why I like you. It's the right way to go, right? And so when I started, our whole, like, one of our main values as a business is you sign up for our product. There's not a ton of info to get you there, but you sign up. And then we've got all the information about buying a house that normally you'd find all over the internet, right? You go to various mix or you find something about mortgages here, something about how to find a good agent here, you find an agent here, and let's consolidate that all in one place and make it really reliable. But the challenge is how do we draw attention to that without giving away the information? We need to prove that the information is good. Like, why did I earn your email address just because I'm promising something to you? You don't. And so we had lots of chats between me and our CTO about pulling, what can we pull out of product that we don't feel like is taking too much value away, right? You don't want to be just giving out free tacos, but you're happy to give out free tacos if it's going to get people to buy the drink and that's what you're really selling, right? So I slowly started pulling stuff out. We made a resource center, shared my own insights. I've bought a bunch of houses over over time, not at once. I don't have that kind of money, but you know, I've been through the process many times. So do some su- subject matter expertise there, right? That's when we started getting bigger into TikTok, recording different videos, 15 minute videos, one minute videos, trying all these different things. But the main success has been pulling the really valuable information out, giving people the resource away from our site to earn them to come back. And then we have all these great tools uh, once, so you, there's still a reason to create an account. You can get all the information you want. I've even built a guide that I give out as a, as a leave behind after I do these you know company presentations, which is like, here's our whole product. This is every step of the home buying process. It's here. It looks pretty. You can write notes on it. Do whatever you want. But we built all these incredible tools, including like inter- meeting three agents that are local experts that we vetted and interviewing them and picking your favorite. You can't do that on this sheet, right? A budget calculator, that's not on the sheet. So we can drive them to our product. So pulling out a lot of educational content from the product and then delivering in a palatable way, which is different on TikTok than it is on Instagram as it is in a newsletter, right? Or as, as a blog post, getting that covered completely and making sure our information is digestible as possible by as many people for free and open is I think the number one strategy. Free and open. I love it. That's right. Yeah. So that's why I liked, I wanted to dig into how you're actually getting people to fill out a form on TikTok. Because for me, that didn't really click. Mm-hmm. How are people on? But we covered how you're able to do it. And it seems to be working for you. So I love that. Never think that it's like one way only. There's always nuances. Like if you can actually get people to 
want to do something where you're catching the people that are actually at the right stage, then they'll actually want to, you know, maybe fill out that form, even if they're on TikTok, relaxing, laughing, crying, whatever they're doing on TikTok. So I love that. I think free and open, but the nuance there is also like, hey, we have stuff we want to share. We just want to make sure that it's like for the right person if I'm going to get you over to this landing page. Yeah, because I know it's that same thing where it's like, I've just interrupted your relaxing time, but I have something valuable to you. I get that you don't want to look at it right now. I don't want to talk about it either. So give me your email address and I'll send you what you need. Now, the challenge is emails are getting, like email marketing is getting to be incredibly difficult, I think. And it doesn't work that well for us right now, but that's the concept, (laughs) right? Well, that's the great segue, Josh. I was going to ask you, what are your top marketing challenges at this moment? It sounds like email seems to be a challenge. Am I right about that? Yeah, it is. It's a huge challenge. And it really pisses me off because I come from a writing background. So like early on in my career, I was like, great. I don't know what SEO is, but I know I can write. I'll figure that out. And I did, right? And doing copywriting and emails. And it was like, email was such a good channel. It was getting muddy. I'm talking 12 years ago or something. I don't have a long I've been around. It was already getting a little bit muddy with too much promotional stuff, right? But it was way better than all the phone calls you were getting. And it worked great. And people would look for messages and they would open almost every email, right? So we've seen that change over time. And then the trick is how do you create emails that stay out of a promotions folder or spam? How do you warm up inboxes, right? All that more technical part of that. Now what I'm finding is so much of the value from email has moved to text message or SMS. And now SMS is getting cluttered. Like, you know, every time I look at my phone, I've got 15 text messages and 12 of them are clothing brands I saw on Instagram that I wanted 10% off on and didn't buy anything and I have to opt out. Right. So now that's getting ready. And then emails, there's all these tools like superhuman, uh, you know, Gmail with the promotions folder, the drive for inbox zero, people organizing things in a way where basically they're saying any marketing message that I get, even when I've asked for, is going to go totally out of sight, out of mind. And if I think about it, occasionally I'll go look there. So where we've seen the biggest challenge there is someone is interested in Dwellwell. They create a free account. Uh, let's say they, they either do pre-approval inside of Dwellwell or they've already been pre-approved for loans. They know how much they can spend on a house. They move through stage one of our product really fast. They disappear, right? My goal in, in order to both monetize them but also provide the most value is to get them to interview with three local real estate agents over at Zoom. So I'm now automatically, right? This is all built in HubSpot workflows. I'm sending them emails to push them through to the next stage of the product. And these are very thoughtful. I understand where they're stuck. We're trying to provide help. We're pulling out as much free stuff as we can. We're basically, what do you, how can we help you move to this next thing? And also we're still here. The open rate on the deliverability rate's great. So we're getting good emails. The open rate, terrible. The click-through rate's really bad to the point where I would completely change what I would call a good open, open and click rate these days. And so it's like, you're here, you signed up, you want to be involved. I can't get back in front of you because there's been a really smart tech that's pushing me aside. So that's where emails become a huge, huge challenge. And that's with people who, you know, this is not bot lists or an event list or a webinar attendee list. These are people who signed up. That's fascinating. Okay, so you're getting warm people that are warmed up to you. They know they like you. They know you now. They see that they see the value, but they're not going to the next. So you want them to go to that next stage to be able to like continue to use the product and the experience. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like they're not ready. Yeah, I think that's right. So they're not ready. I think that's right. Yeah. And so how long is that? I didn't ask you this earlier, but how long is the sales cycle typically? I have no idea. Like we we have people. I think the easiest answer to that is the people who are best 
uh, users, meaning they meet with agents, they select an agent, they go on and they buy a house, usually find us because when you're trying to buy a house, as, as I think probably a lot of listeners are aware, it becomes this obsession, right? You're going to find Duello. You're also going to find Zillow, Redfin, some random blog that a real estate agent in your area wrote five years ago about how downtown is changing. You're, like, you're going to find everything. You know, you're going to know how stuff's selling over asking. Like, you become this like repository of information, just everything. And so people that are like really ready, they're going to come in and they're going to either get pre-approved or tell us the pre-approval info. They're going to go through and tell us all of their home preferences, neighborhood preferences, all that stuff. And then they're going to go to meet agents because they're super high intent, right? It's the people who are coming to dwell well because they're like, I want to learn and I don't have a specific ambient. Yeah, I want to learn and eventually I want to buy a place and they don't already have urgency. I can't manufacture that, right? I can't be like, you actually do want a Twix bar. You don't think you do, but I can I can convince you you do want a Twix bar. It's like, have you saved up tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars? Do you have good credit? Did you finish? Did you get a credit repair service? Are you employed? Like all these things, like all of these things that are completely dependent. So it's a completely different buyer to buyer. Yeah. The ones that are good come through super fast, but we haven't seen a ton of people who are signing up in January and converting in November. Okay. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle there, but most people aren't ready to buy what you're offering. Or most people, I guess, hear the pricing for this tool is one thing. The home buying is a completely separate price. Right. Right. But you kind of have to be at combining into this one experience because you're not going to use the tool unless you're really ready to buy that house. Yep. So I think that's the challenge for you is your pricing is not the thing that makes the sales cycle longer. It's the fact that the pricing of the home is so high, right? Yeah. And how do you create that urgency? And the situation required. Yeah. And I kind of think it's wrong too. So like our, our product is completely free for home buyers and like it's going to be, right? We make money on the vendor side, which makes great sense because vendors want to be where there's active home buyers that are qualified. Like it, it, work, it works out really, really well. And so even that, it's not even an issue of like going, hey, you might, you don't think you're ready to buy a house, but you are, right? We do a little bit of that. Like we're building a calculator right now as a marketing tool that is like, how much are you paying in rent? That would equal like this is how much house that of a mortgage that would cover at current interest rates. Yeah, you need a down payment. You have to qualify for a loan, all those things. But let's give you that idea. Just little things we're doing to be like, if you don't think you can buy a home, maybe you can. And let's give you tools to see if you actually can, if it's something you want to do. The last thing I want our, our business to do is push people into something they're not ready for or not actually interested in. Right. I'm not going to make a ton of content saying it's the perfect time to buy a house. Right. I think right now. The real estate market, as we've seen the past three years, is is just nuts, right? It's it's got COVID. It's hot. It's cold. It's it's coughing. And it's active. It doesn't <laughs> right? And it's it's all over. And so, for some people, it's a great time to buy a house. I really believe that. I just bought a house, right? We have a baby. We need a bigger house. It made perfect sense for first time home buyers. It really depends on a ton of factors. I'm not going to try to convince you of that. And so, it makes it even harder, right? I just want to keep educating you and giving you resources. That's right. So I think the key then is getting really good at figuring out who are those people that are ready to buy? How do you find them? Mm-hmm. The ones that have that high intent of going through this home buying process right now, today, mm-hmm. tomorrow, yesterday, versus the people that most people aren't ready to buy. What do you do with them? Mm-hmm. From my perspective, the answer is you need to continue to keep that relationship, to build that relationship. If you're sending them emails and trying to push them onto that next stage, it might not feel like you're there as a mutual benefit for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So then maybe that's why 
open rates and yeah. I also just think if they don't get into inboxes the way they used to, but your point is valid, right? You can't really bring people in from a lot of free education and they start using the product. You're like, go to the next stage, go to the next stage, right? It's more about delivering continued value there. I think that it's a, it's a really good call out. I think another thing that we need to look at more and more is if people aren't reading the emails for whatever reason, how do we get them to follow us on social where we're sharing lots of free, valuable educational content and they can raise their hand again when they're ready? I think that's, and that's part of where I go like, to, you know, TikTok potentially trying to replace some search engine stuff. It's like, you have a meaningful brand, you have a meaningful page on, on TikTok that's loaded with information someone wants and loaded with links and things so they can easily access you. That's where people are going to be looking instead of, they're not going to come read my homepage and sign up to a new home buying experience. They're going to watch 20 videos that make sense to them and then hopefully come, right? And so that email, website, I think it's losing a little bit of value. And so I'm trying to prepare to adjust for that as someone who came from a SEO copywriting background, right? It's, a, it's the new world. It's applying this, the same reason I was like the hipster kid coming in to do all this stuff. You know, I implemented HubSpot like really in the really early days. There's now a new version of that. <laughs> I have to keep up with it. Yes, that is a really great point. There is now a new version of that. You're not trying to get people to get on your website and read stuff on there. That's hard. You're not trying to get people to open your emails. That's hard. What you're trying to do, because nurturing can come in multiple forms. Yep. Nurturing a relationship can happen all on TikTok because they've binge watched your videos. Um, it can happen on YouTube. It can happen on wherever. Nurturing doesn't have to happen uh, from your website blog posts and right. from your email sequence. So fascinating, awesome call out that that has changed. Yeah. And I did want to get into your background because the reason I'm excited, I was excited to talk to you and you reached out to me. Yes, I did. So usually I'm like, people that reach out to me, I'm like, hmm, I have to qualify yeah. you first. And then I <laughs> yeah. ask you the questions and you wrote back like an essay. And I'm like, yep, I'm I'm bringing Josh on. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm very about. long-winded. I'm a long-winded typer and a long-winded speaker. No, you've been great during this episode. But I did want to talk about your non-traditional marketing background because you mm -hmm. started in stand-up comedy. That's right. What have you learned from the comedy side that have you, that you've taken into the marketing side? Definitely. I had no specific interest in marketing out the gate, right? So I basically graduated from college and I had the worst thing happen in college, which was my senior year, they started a screenwriting class. And I took that screenwriting class and I'd already been working on like screenplays and stuff from like my little college shack, uh, just like on my own because I was too lazy to write good fiction. So I was like, but I have all the ideas, right? And so I took the screenwriting class and I wrote a script that was pretty funny and I turned it in and my screenwriting professor says, this is the funniest thing I've read since Huck Finn. And I was like, oh, well, I'm a genius. I now know exactly how my life's going to go, right? And I'll have to move to LA at some point, but I don't want to go there soon because who wants to live there? And I am going to be very rich and I'm just going to write stories because I'm validating. It was not a good script. Like I've visited it in the years since. It was terrible. And so getting that complete false encouragement, I wouldn't say false encouragement, but validation as opposed to the push. Like, yeah, this is kind of funny. I think there's something here, but keep working. So I took a year um, after college and I just wrote. I wrote a ton, tons of scripts and I worked at a coffee shop to, to pay my rent and did all that stuff and was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to take this seriously. Kept pushing at it, kept pushing at it. Wound up taking a sales job because I needed to have some meaningful money in, you know, inside sales for uh, educational things, you know, doing a thousand dials a week, which I think a lot of good marketers have done a year of that stuff. 
And so then I was like, I'm done with this. I was living in San Diego. I was like, the life is not off to the start I wanted. I'm 24. I'm going to move back to Colorado. And like a couple nights before I was going to leave, I went to see my friend's band play. And, you know, I'm talking, there's 12 of us there on like a Wednesday night, right? And I was seething with jealousy. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, it's not like they're chasing their dream. You know, they're just playing at some local bar. But I realized like, man, like, I need so much attention. I'm not an only child, but I feel like it. You know, like, I'm like, I don't know. And so the next night they had an open mic at that same bar. And I was like, maybe I, I have no musical talent, right? Like, I can't sing. This is my only voice. I can't figure out how to use my fingers. I, I'm very, very bad at all that stuff. So I had an open mic and I was like, maybe I'll just do stand-up. Let's just see what, how it goes. Like, I'm, I think I'm funny. So I wrote some stuff, went, did like a two-minute thing. It went good enough. And so then I decided I'm going to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> like just the tiniest bit of validation and I'll run change my whole life. So I didn't move back to Colorado. I convinced my friends to like, let me stay in the house longer that we were all renting. And I started doing standup at like the comedy store in San Diego and, and some things like that. I got a job at the ticket office at the house of blues in San Diego. So I could start networking and entertainment. Uh, and then finally committed to moving to LA, which is a long story. Uh, Cause I started booking more and more shows. I was doing a you know, comedy store in LA and that kind of thing. So I moved up here it, with the thought, like, I'm just going to do standup, which is, you surround yourself with some very miserable people because a lot of people are funly, funny only because they've gone so sad they came all the way back down to funny again and so that's what i was doing and then you know i was taking odd jobs you know whatever whatever it's, it's a super long story but the way that it turned into marketing for me was i needed more money i needed a full-time job so i wrote my way into this copywriting job i just made a resume and sent it off i didn't have any real qualifications did a couple emails for some some people that I had was just best guess at. Like I had no marketing experience, but I had a line on my resume that said stand-up comedy and whatever the years were, 2006 to 2009 or whatever, whatever was going on. And then the only bullet point was my parents were thrilled, right? Oh no, I said performed at venues like, right? So I got some, some social proof and then my parents were thrilled. And it got me the interview just because this HR person was like, you, that this is hilarious. Like I just wanted to meet you. And I talked my way into the job, right? So that was sort of how it all started. But the impact of stand-up, like the way stand-up works is you basically deliver messaging and you see how it resonates with the specific audience. And then if you're good, you react a little bit. If you're hyper-confident, you don't care if you're bombing. You just kind of keep going because you're working on your set. But I'm extremely empathetic and self-conscious. So like, if I say something that I know is funny and it doesn't work, I need to think about what bar am I at? Right? Like one time I went up in a very conservative cowboy bar and I was trying to do my normal stuff. It wasn't landing at all. So I did adjust a little bit, but still stay true to myself. Right. And so real time feedback, understanding how to connect with the people, the personas essentially that are in that room, tweaking your message, but keeping on track with what your message is, but tweaking it for that audience. And then also just the confidence of having to problem solve in real time, think through things, understand things about tailoring. Different people take messages in a different way. Right. That informed things like, trying to create more dynamic websites or variable data and emails, snippets, whatever it is. So to me, the map is very, very clear. But I also think that stand-up is very much about connecting with people in a human way, right? People come to stand-up shows for two reasons. Either they want to laugh at you, they want to make fun of how dumb and bad you are, which is a lot of people. They want to have drinks and make fun of you. And the other group is like, they want to receive something, right? They want to receive something new or different, or they just want to laugh. And so if you can find the people that want to receive stuff, you can figure out how to give it to them. That's essentially what marketing is. You know, it doesn't come with businesses in general. Absolutely. Okay. I totally get it now. This is fascinating because I actually had someone else on the show. 
it's not released yet, but he also talked about being uh, it's like a hobby of his. So there's something where comedy and marketing, if you have that as a skill or a hobby, then it's actually a benefit. It's kind of like if you play piano, it's good for math. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a comedian, it's good for marketing. Yeah. So I'm I'm starting to see like that thread there. Yeah. And I think <laughs> if you're good at helping people bring their barriers down, I mean, that is like we talk about how to get people to fill out a form on TikTok or take any action, right? The trick is you have to build trust really, really fast. You have to bring their barriers down because the first thing people do is go, I'm not giving you my email address. I'm not like, it's no, no is the first, that's how we keep ourselves safe. We say no. And then if you can just sort of go, but it will be fun. Or like, look, it's already fun. Or you trust me or, you know, you know all those things, then you earn that. And I think that's a big part of what standup is. And it's brain wiring and you're in, in the comedian's brain to figure out how to do that. I think once you understand that that is your mission as a communicator, as the way you connect with human beings, it's easy to map that yeah. to a career in marketing and marketing efforts. Absolutely. Okay. Well, as we're wrapping up the session, I always like to ask, what question do you have for me? So I had a couple really deep ones that I thought of in advance. I'm drawing a blank on both of them at the moment, but what would... Okay. I think, I think you had wanted to know how would you summarize your marketing philosophy? It's funny. I'm glad I wrote that because that's what I was just about to ask you. Because I've been thinking a lot about how the key, like there's tactics in marketing, right? And there's channels and there's all this stuff. But if it doesn't, if it's not living under a specific philosophy, you don't know why you're doing anything, which makes which means you're just finger in the wind. So I've been really, yes, I'm fascinated about to hear yours and anyone else who wants to hit me up and tell me theirs. I'm just, I want to gather marketing philosophy. So yeah, that is the best question I have for you. Here's what I think. What my philosophy over the years has been people overcomplicate marketing. People overcomplicate marketing when so much has not changed. And they do that because of the tactics and the tools. And I think the thing that really resonated for me here in our conversation was when you said... There is this schooling that people went through with the HubSpot and the building out the forms and the landing pages and getting people to fill it out and then sending them in the email sequence. There's like this schooling that people went through. But it's over now because we're in a new era. We're in an era where we're trying to build relationships and gain trust and put out our point of view that connects really deeply with someone that's like, aha, that. I love that idea. I didn't think about it that way, but I'm going to follow this person or I'm going to follow that company because what they're talking about is really meaningful to me and valuable for me. And I think that is at the core of what's effective today versus I got to take that course and I got to know how to do those landing pages. And like that is secondary. So my marketing philosophy is like, people have been overcomplicating marketing because so much has been... It's not necessarily anybody's fault like so much has been thrown at us like this is the way you're supposed to do it and especially b2b companies well isn't this the way we're supposed to do it we're supposed to do the google ads right to get people then lead gen over to our website and have them fill out the form like that's how we're supposed to do it well that's your way that you would like that nice clean way for you to deliver what you want to deliver but that's not necessarily the way that people want to go through the experience with you and make their buying decision. So we hit on that during this conversation. We hit on a couple of these points. The old way of doing marketing versus the new way. Like people aren't, when people aren't ready, how do you propel them to go to the next step? You can't actually push them into it. So what are some other ideas? So I loved that we hit on some of these points in the conversation. 
maybe think of a couple of things. And I think the first one is sort of be there and be helpful. Like at my, at my last business, I was running the inside sales team as well as basically the BD team as well as marketing. We moved that under marketing, which was a game changer, by the way. And if you are at a B2B business with an inside sales team and you can do that, 100% should because then leads that marketing is generated and the messaging marketing is created goes directly into the people on the phones instead of the disconnect. There's still disconnect at the AE level, let's say, between marketing, but you at least get that initial thing all, all consolidated. But one thing that I, that I always talk about with them is you're calling to help someone. Like we have a legitimate good product. You're not calling to sell them. You're calling to learn a little bit about them to see if you can help them. And if you can't, there's no way we can help them. They're not going to buy. But if we can help them, then they might buy. On the marketing side, it's the same thing, right? You want to be helpful. You want to create delight. This is the early HubSpot school stuff, right? Delighting is sort of the end of the funnel. I think that's hyper, hyper important in marketing. The other thing you just made me think of, which is one of my big marketing secrets, but I'll share it when you were talking about, there's these sort of rules we're all doing. You know, This is the playbook of how you do, especially B2B. The, the zig when they zag thing is hyper powerful in marketing, right? So a good example is a few years ago, I was doing a lot of press releases and, and there are the right times you send out a press release, 100% the right time to send out a press release. Everyone tells you it's the same thing, right? For sort of two times. If you're going to do a webinar, it's kind of like, yeah, do it on Wednesday or Thursday. If it's going to be nationwide, 11 to 12, because then it's right before lunch on the West Coast. It's right after lunch on the East Coast, right? And everyone says that. I started sending out press releases on Thursday, like 8 p.m. Pacific, and we would get tons more pickups than we would if I sent it out in, in a morning, right? Because no one else is doing it. It's I started doing more direct mail, which I think is a great strategy for people. I, we're not doing any right now as business because it's a little bit expensive, but like every door direct mail, like people are not doing direct mail. The reason is because there's too much junk mail. The, the channel lost value. But now email's losing value. Text messages are losing value. People already abandoned direct mail. Go but back But not there. if you're doing it in an awesome way because you know there are those emails that you're looking forward to every week. Awesome content will always win on any channel. Yeah. And you can't yes. do an awesome... There's not an awesome direct mail piece. You know what I mean? Like, there will be once you get to it, Josh. I hope so. You know what I like? One thing I'm just going to close out this episode because we're way over, but I'm yeah. just going to mention, I really like it when the real estate agents send like, what's going on for the fall? Here are all the festivals. Like that's helpful. I know it's yep. simple, but that's actually helpful. So they're thinking about me versus their end goal. So yep. I will neighborhood tie guide. That back. Any neighborhood guide stuff is great. And that's love it. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Josh, so much um, for coming on the show. I'm really glad you reached out because I really enjoyed our conversation. And if anybody wants to find Josh, you can do so by going to his LinkedIn, Josh Aids. And to find out more about DwellWell, you can go to dwellwell.com. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.